Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Everybody's power back on. Some people lost power yesterday. I don't know if that was you or not, but I hope, hope everybody's is back on if you did lose it. Um, it's good to be here. Like, like Vicki said, my name is Andrew. If we haven't got a chance to meet yet, I'd love to connect with you after the service. Um, but Michael last week kicked off a series that we'll be continuing here called Best Supporting Role. When you hear that phrase, best supporting role, you probably think of the Academy Awards, right? Right, where you got a whole bunch of celebrities dressed up in gowns and tuxedos, a bunch of famous like people that we're used to seeing in films, all, get, all coming together, getting trophies and awards. And, um, but you also, if you look at those, if you ever watch those, you'll see a bunch of people that you maybe you don't know their names of. Maybe you sort of recognize some of them, but, uh, or maybe you don't recognize them at all. But they're also dressed up in there for awards. And, and there may be the, maybe the camera doesn't show them quite as much or zoom in on them quite as much. And they're more of the supporting role kind of people in film. I don't know if many of you remember, but there used to be a, there was a man named Walter Brennan. Does anybody remember Walter Brennan? Yes, okay. Some of the older generation is like, of course I know who Walter Brennan is. If you're younger than me, you're probably like, I have no idea who you're talking about, right? Walter Brennan, if you don't know, was an actor, a very successful actor from the 1920s to the 1970s. So he had 50 years. It's a picture of him. Uh, he was in over 200 movies. That's a lot of films to be in. That's, that's you know. Um, but one of the things about Walter Brennan is he was rarely the lead role. He almost always played the supporting role. He played everything from the milkman to the taxi driver to a clown to lots and lots of other characters in between. And he's the kind of guy that when you watched him, you, you kind of thought, oh, he's in a lot of things, you know? And, but I don't, I, and sometimes it's like we see actors or actresses and we see them, they're in a lot of things. Maybe we don't know their name or remember exactly what they've been in. But, but, but these kinds of supporting role people are often what make the lead roles so successful. You know, it's, it's their support in a film that make the lead roles look great and help them in their, um, in their part. Uh, Walter Brennan was that kind of actor. Not only was he the first person to ever win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, he was the only person to ever do it three times, at least so far. You know, in the storyline of the Bible, we read about many different characters who might be considered the star or the lead, right? The, the Davids, the, you know, Moses, Peter, Paul, Mary, the Bible characters, not the folk group. Um, and of course, Jesus, right? Is the lead role, the lead star, right? But so often we overlook the more supporting people who walk alongside those individuals, the ones who are there to encourage and advise and, and um, care for these lead role characters, the Davids, the, Mo, the Moseses, and, and even Jesus. These people were needed. They were so essential. Even Jesus needed people to support him and care for him so that he could do what God had called him to do. In reality, the whole Bible story is God's story, right? God is the lead star, the lead character. Everyone is supporting him, supporting Jesus. And even though the Bible has an ending, you know, you can come to the last page. 
the story of God is still continuing today. It's still being enacted today. And we are invited as followers of him to be those supporting roles, to play those parts, at least, it, um, at least from that kind of perspective. And, and what we're gonna be looking at in this series is we're gonna be looking at some, some stories that you might be familiar with, some you might not know. But even in the familiar stories that we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at them kind of flip-flopped. Instead of looking at them from the lead roles perspective, we're gonna look at them more from the supporting roles perspective. Because I, I believe that we can glean a lot from those individuals and those characters to know, okay, God, what might you be inviting me into following in, in their footsteps? They're often overlooked footsteps as I support you, God, in what you're doing. Now, last weekend, Michael, Michael started off and he talked about a woman named Abigail. Abigail, who is a key supporting role for David. And, and, and in the story, he talked about how this woman, Abigail, who at great risk gave advice to David, very wise counsel to David, and David followed it. And that helped David in more ways than one. And eventually it led to David taking Abigail to be a wife. Now today we're gonna to talk about David a little bit, but we're gonna look at another individual who was a supporting role to him, uh, somebody a little bit different than Abigail. This person uh, helped support him was Jonathan. Jonathan, the character of Jonathan, maybe the best friend anyone could ever ask for. So let me just pray real quick and then we'll kind of dive into the story. So Lord, we thank you. I thank you for everybody here today. I thank you for those joining us online. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, we would just become aware of your presence and that you would speak to us today, that there would be something we could take as we look at the person of Jonathan, that each person here and watching online could take something from, from this story and, and that you would just, we just pray that you would invite us to show us how you want us to follow in their footsteps and be more like Jonathan today. Just thank you for, for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. And okay, a little backstory. If you were here last weekend, Michael talked about some of this because it's happening at the same time. Um, but the nation of Israel, when it was a young, wee little nation, uh, the, God chose a man named Saul. Saul to be the first king of Israel. And like other kings, Saul expected someday that he would hand the leadership off of the nation to his firstborn son, right? That's kind of the tradition, right? And that son happened to be a young man named Jonathan, the prince of Israel. Now, Jonathan, as a young man, had proven to be a great, courageous warrior in Saul's army, gifted in hand-to-hand -hand combat as well as archery. In, the story, in a story in 1 Samuel 14, there's a story of Jonathan and he's got his assistant with him, his armor bearer, as he calls him. And basically he was the person who, was, who carried Jonathan's weapons for him. Um, and it tells the story of them attacking a group of Philistines who were kind of the arch rival, the nemesis of the Israelites at this time. They constantly were fighting battles with the Philistines. And in this, in this story, he, he battled, him and just the, his assistant battled this, this group of Philistines in a very strategic way in this narrow kind of pathway ravine area where they could kind of attack kind of one at a time. And the Philistine guys couldn't really get around him and there, because there wasn't extra space. And Jonathan and his assistant defeat over 20 and kill over 20 men in this battle, just two versus 20, and they win. And this causes the whole Philistine army to go into panic. So Jonathan was this, this great warrior and he was a natural leader. He was well-respected by all the people, 
Plus just being born Prince of Israel from a human perspective, he was the clear, obvious choice, the clear, obvious choice as the next future king of Israel. But not only that, if that wasn't enough, Jonathan was a very faith-filled man who trusted God and had been obedient to him his entire life. In this story that I just talked about where um, Jonathan and this, this, his assistant attacked these Philistines and defeated them, in trying to make the decision, should we go attack them or not attack them, he was dependent on, whether, on, on the Lord. He only did it because he was being obedient to God. In First Samuel 14, 9 through 10, it says this, Jonathan said this to his assistant. If they, talking about the Philistines, say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. Basically saying we won't go fight them if that's the case. But if they say, come on up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And the Philistines said this second thing. They said, come on up to us. And we don't know for sure the tone of how they said that, but I, I think they were probably mocking him. Like, yeah, you two guys, why don't you come on? Yeah, what are you gonna do to us, 20? Right? But that was, that was how Jonathan knew that the Lord, had, had, it was God's will for them to go. That was how he was, that's how he knew. And so he, by doing that, he was being obedient to God. And if he wouldn't have done that, he would have been disobedient to God. And so they go up and Jonathan didn't go up to pick a fight to prove himself. He simply did it to be obedient to God. But even though everything about Jonathan and his character and his abilities made sense for him to be the next king, Michael talked about this again last weekend, but Jonathan's father, Saul, had in fact proven to be disobedient to God. Saul had wanted to do things his own way, not God's way. And so God regretted choosing Saul and he instead sent a prophet, the prophet Samuel, to choose a new king from a whole different family, a whole different line, the family of Jesse. And he chose a shepherd boy named David. Now think about how that could have affected Jonathan. You know, his whole life had been preparation to be the next king, training and education to be the next king. And I'm sure people told him it all the time. Hey, you know, someday when you grow up and your dad is gonna hand the kingdom off to you, someday that you'll have the authority and this will all be yours. You'll be in charge of all of this someday. And, but, but because of his father's mistakes, the way he thought his life would go one day where he would get to be the lead role, Right, where he would get to be the star and the, the king of Israel was in fact not part of God's storyline for him. But now it's gonna go to somebody else. Now it's gonna go to somebody else. How does Jonathan respond to this? How does he respond to this? Does he resist and fight for his rightful place as king? Or does he accept God's decision to choose somebody new to be the new king, put somebody new on the throne? Well, what's, what's interesting is the very first time that we know for sure that Jonathan and David ever meet, the first interaction that we see in the Bible that they have, follows immediately after the famous story of David defeating Goliath, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, right? The famous story. But at the time, David had at this point been appointed and anointed by King Saul, or not King Saul, the prophet Saul to be the next king. That had already happened. Um, and... David is still a young boy. At least he's not an adult yet. We don't know exactly his age, maybe a teenager. 
but all the men are fighting. All the Israelite men are, have joined the army and are fighting against the Philistines again because they're constantly fighting with each other. And David's too young to be in the army, but he goes to the battle to visit his older brothers who would have been there fighting, if you know the story. And he shows up and he ends up volunteering to take on this giant of a man, Goliath, right? And miraculously, because the Lord is with him, with just a sling and a stone, right? He, he, he kills Goliath and he, he literally picks up Goliath's sword and chops off his head, right? And sometimes the Bible gets a rap of being boring. It's definitely not boring if you read it. But, but it's right after that, um, John, I'm sorry, David, David goes and meets Saul and goes up to Saul. And this is the first time we see him also meeting Jonathan. So they would actually, David and, and um, Saul had met prior to this, but we don't know if he ever met Jonathan prior to this point. But, but look how Jonathan responds to meeting David. First Samuel 18, verse one, it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now we'll stop right there. Instead of rejecting uh, David, Jonathan makes him, and he embraces him. Instead of making him his enemy, he becomes his best friend. It says they become one in spirit, right? And that Jonathan loved David as himself and made a covenant with him. And he sealed that covenant by taking off his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt and giving them to David. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing to do when you meet somebody for the first time, right? You just, hi, you know, my name's Andrew. Here's my shirt, right? Here's my belt. Here's the keys to my house. It's not a castle, but here's the keys. He's just giving him this stuff, right? That's kind of an odd thing. But what, what's interesting is what he's doing here is easy. He is essentially giving him the keys to the castle. Because when it says here that he, take, that he gives him his robe, this isn't just any robe. This is his royal robe, his priestly robe. When, it, when he's giving him the sword, this is the, or I'm, I'm sorry, I said priest, the princely robe. Uh, he's giving him the prince's sword. He's basically giving him, basically saying, I am turning over my authority, the authority in my role as the prince to you, willingly. He's giving that to him without a fight. This is profound. Something must have happened in Jonathan's mind when he witnessed David defeating Goliath, knowing, okay, this is God's chosen one, not me, but this man. And I'm gonna be humble and submit to him. Talk about radical humility, radical humility, right? But not only that, something that makes this, I think, even a little bit more radical is that we often think of Jonathan and David as being the exact same age, you know, as because they were best friends. Uh, and often in ancient paintings, we see them depicted. They look about the exact same age. But, but most likely, Jonathan was a little bit older than David. We don't know exactly for sure, but David, again, he must, have, he must have been younger than 18. Otherwise, he would have been serving in the army with his older brothers. So he must have been a little, at least a little bit younger than that. And Jonathan, because of his already extensive military career, 
And just because of a few other verses based on, on Saul and when Jonathan probably was born, we estimate that Jonathan was probably at least 10 years older than David. And so what's interesting here is it's not like Jonathan's giving the right of being the next king over to somebody who's older than him. Like, okay, you have more experience, right? Or it's not even like he's giving it to somebody his exact same age, his peer. He's probably giving it to somebody who's a good, a good amount younger than him. And think about how, how humble that would be and how radical that is. You know, we don't even know if, if David was shaving yet. Right? We don't know. His voice might have been cracking. Uh, but, but Jonathan knew that um, David was, was God's chosen one. And so he willingly gives over the right to rule. And from that point on, David is, is regularly in the court of King Saul. And so the two, two of them, Jonathan and David, basically become inseparable friends, doing, doing so much together. And, and, um, and, but the problem is, is over time, Saul um, starts to notice all of the favor on David and not so much favor on himself. He starts to see that the people are celebrating David more than they're celebrating him, King Saul. And so he becomes filled with jealousy and envy and rage so much that King Saul tries to kill David multiple times, multiple times. And now you have Jonathan in quite this difficult spot. Right? Do I support my father in the king who I'm bound to and need to be loyal to? Or do I support my friend, David, who I believe is supposed to be the next king? You know, and, I, and I often wonder if he thought, should I just stay out of it and, it, it, you know, and stay back? And man, it would be terrible if something had happened to David, but I guess I get my spot back, right? You know, like, but we don't know if, if Jonathan ever had thoughts like that or not, but we don't see any evidence of that. Because for the entire rest of scripture in which we see Jonathan, the rest of 1 Samuel, really for the rest of Jonathan's life, he's nothing but encouraging and supportive uh, and caring and loving to David. That's all we see time and time again. The greatest example of this is probably found in 1 Samuel 20, where David is scared. He is terrified of Saul. And he's trying to decide if he needs to run for his life and he's not sure what's, what to do. So he asks his friend, Jonathan, for help. And the plan they come up with is this plan where the, the next day is gonna be this festival, this, this new moon festival. And it's probably a festival that they would have celebrated many times together as friends. In, in Saul's court, there would have been a, basically days of partying, days of feasting. And, and David and Jonathan would have always been there with King Saul and many of the other people in the court and, and David's plan is, is to not show up. He says, I'm gonna hide out in this field. I'm not gonna show up. And I want you to, Jonathan, to tell me how your dad reacts. How does King Saul react to me not being there? And Jonathan agrees. And he says this, 1 Samuel 20, verse 12, he says this. And then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably, favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. 
And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. There's that phrase again, he loved him as he loved himself. So Jonathan says, yes, I will help you. Yes, I will help you. And I will tell you the truth if my dad is really upset at you or not. And he reaffirms his covenant and support of David and, and warns him and says that he will warn him if, if King Saul does want to harm him. So David doesn't go to the party. David hides out in the field. And on the second day of David, David's absence, Saul goes berserk. He just goes into this tirade and he starts yelling and tells everybody in the court, I want you to go out and find David and bring him to me so I can kill him. And so there's, there's the answer. There's David's answer. And Jonathan, he storms out of the room and he goes out to the field to shoot some arrows like, he, like he's blowing off steam or something like that. But really that was the plan all along. That was the signal they had come up with all along. And, and David comes out of hiding in the field and at, at great risk to both of them, because if they would have been seen doing this, they could have both been in a lot of trouble. They, they embrace and they just cry. They just cry because they know this is the end of their friendship as they know it. Because David is gonna go on the run for his life and Jonathan has to stay. He has to stay back. And it says this, 1 Samuel 20, verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left and Jonathan went back to town. Jonathan again, stuck kind of between a rock and a hard place, duty bound to serve his father, but also wanting to support David, sent him off in peace to go on the run to hide from Saul. And the two friends that we know have only met one more time one more time, a few chapters later. And again, Jonathan is still encouraging and supporting David. He says this to David in 1 Samuel 23, 17. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Jonathan is encouraging him saying, don't be scared. Don't be worried. You're gonna be okay. You will be the king. You know, sometimes we can't change a friend's circumstances for them. Most of the time we can't change their circumstances for them, right? But we can speak encouraging truth over them. We can encourage them to not be afraid, to not worry, that what God has promised will come to pass. We can remind them of God's faithfulness and goodness and that he's with them. And, and, and that's exactly what D David needed in this moment, terrified for his life. You know, and he, Jonathan reaffirms to David, you will be first, I will be second to you. You are to be the lead role, I'm to play the supporting role. And the reality is though, that even though Jonathan probably believed and hoped that he would serve under David as king for many, many years, Jonathan really actually didn't live very much longer. He was killed in battle soon after. This was the final encouragement that Jonathan gave to David. And one of the greatest friendships of all time ended. Now, 
there's something I think, there's some things we can learn from Jonathan. And one of those things is how we can love our friends well, right? And that's one of the points of application I wanna make here, that true friendship is one of loyal love. True friendship is one of loyal love. You know, earlier when we talked about Jonathan and David's plan to, to test Saul to see if he really did plan to harm David, Jonathan recommits his friendship to David, but he says this, and there's, it's, there's some interesting things he says in here. But again, back in uh, chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, it says this, but show me your unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live so that I may not be killed. But do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of this earth. You notice I emphasize, we emphasize this phrase, kindness, unfailing kindness, Lord's kindness. In the original language in Hebrew, this is the word kased, kased. And it's hard to translate into English because we don't have a word that correlates exactly with it. So in this case, it's, it's translated kindness, but it's much more than just being nice. It's much deeper than that. Oftentimes in the Bible, it's also translated mercy or grace or loyal love, loyal love. Most often when this word is found in the Bible, it's talking about God's loyal love to us, to his people, his unfailing committed love to us, unwavering, the kind of love that can only come from God. Jonathan is asking David to support him with that kind of love. And he's saying, I will do the same for you. Show me your unfailing chased, he's saying, like the Lord's chased, as long as I live and do not ever cut off your chased from my family. And what's interesting is, is David doesn't. He doesn't cut off that chased. Later on in the story, after Jonathan um, passes away and is killed, uh, he, David welcomes in uh, Jonathan's family to be a part of the court. He takes care of them. He, he brings them in like his own family. You know, we could all use Jonathan's like that in our lives. We all need Jonathan's in our lives. It's a good thing to ask God, God, will you bring Jonathan's into my life? But, jo but God is also calling us to be Jonathan's to other people. You know, so oftentimes in our, in our culture, you know, this kind of loyal love, we just don't see it. We just don't see it in friendships. We, we, we are friends with people as long as we're getting something from them or we're getting more from them, right? As soon as, as, soon as we think like that in our culture that, hey, I feel like I'm giving more than you're giving to me, I'm giving more to you, well, then it's like this friendship isn't beneficial anymore. So we abandon it as a culture, you know? But when you experience this kind of, true friendship, this loyal love, where somebody stands by you, even through difficult times, it almost catches you off guard a little bit, doesn't it? It almost surprises us. Like you would, you would do that for me? Wait, you would stand by me in this season? Wait, you would encourage me in that way? Even if it costs you so much, you would remain loyal to me in that way? I think it's one of the simplest and yet most powerful ways we can evangelize God's loyal love to people outside the church. It's just be really, really good friends. Just be really, extend them really, really loyal love. When other people are quick to abandon them, when things are difficult or feelings are hurt, or I'm not getting to be the lead in this friendship anymore, but instead we stick around and support them. You know, one way that we can assess 
that we can assess the maturity of our friendship and how good we are at this and how, how much we can extend loyal love to others is, is, is whether we can be truly joyful when a friend is successful, even if that thing is something we've been hoping for ourselves, right? So, so for example, you and your friend at work are both up for a promotion, right? And he or she gets it instead of you. Can you be truly joyful for them, happy for them? Can you, can you stay friends with them and support them? Especially if you think you're probably we're the better person for the job, right? What if you're, you're really longing to be in a relationship with somebody? You know, you're really struggling with that. You're really lonely. You really, you really want to be in a good, healthy relationship with somebody and your best friend calls you up and, and announces they're engaged. Can you be happy for them? Like truly happy for them? Right? It's a sign of mature friendship if you can. If you're maybe for the, the, those who are, who are younger in the room, you know, maybe, maybe you're working your tail off in math class just to pass the math test, right? And you look over and your best friend just got an A and you know they didn't even try. Like, can you be happy for them? Genuinely, truly happy for them. I mean, we can all fake it, right? I'm so happy for you, right? We're, we can all do that, but on the inside, can we genuinely be full of joy for them? I, I think that only can happen, that can only truly happen if we've experienced that kind of unfailing love, that loyal love from God. If we are overflowing and we've experienced God's kindness, God's love, God's chesed, that it overflows out of us to other people. Otherwise, I think we just fake it. But when we have experienced that, um, then we can do that for other people. And the way that we experience that is through faith. It requires true faith in God to be able to do that. And the second point I wanna make is that true faith that we see in Jonathan is, is one of surrendered obedience. Surrendered obedience. Jonathan's faith throughout his life is almost unheard of. He is able to give up his princely robe and throne and not, not only just to give it up grudgingly, but to do it willingly and in complete loving support of David. And he could only do that because his whole life he had cultivated a life of trusting God and being obedient to him. Going back to that story I said at the beginning where he and just his one assistant take on 20 Philistines, being obedient in that moment and trusting God knows what he's doing and is gonna be with him. Right? Jonathan had cultivated a whole life of that so that when he gets to this point of, well, do I, do I support David or not? When he's in that dilemma, he can do it. He can have the strength and the humility to, to give up the spotlight, basically, to give up the lead role and to play the part of the supporting role because he knows God is still in control. He trusts God. He has faith in God. You know, our society says, you deserve to be number one, Right? Fight for it, go for it, push other people out of the way to get it if you need to. Be the lead role in your own movie, in your own story, if you wanna think of it like that way. But, but most often that doesn't really work. <laughs> that usually just brings a lot of frustration, right? If you look at, at King Saul, he was trying to do that and it only led to jealousy and envy and rage. You know, one of the things we can learn from Jonathan is that God is inviting you and he's inviting me to be second, to be second, to be in the supporting role in his story, 
to surrender to his plans for our lives and to follow in his footsteps, right? We're followers of Jesus, not leaders of Jesus, followers, right? And to like Jonathan, how he chose to follow David, we are invited to follow David's great, 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 like 24 great grandsons, King Jesus, to follow in his footsteps. Now I'm gonna invite the worship team to start to come to make their way back up here. I'll end and kind of wrap up with this story. Last week, uh, my family and I got to take a little summer vacation. We drove down to Florida, went to the beach for a couple of days. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And one night we took a walk on the, on the, on the ocean, on, you know, on the beach and right where the water was coming in. And um, the tide had kind of was starting to go back out. So some things that had been washed up on the shore were kind of right there on the edge. And there was some sharp shells and some debris and some foam stuff. And we were, it was like, but it was getting dark as you couldn't really see exactly where you were walking. And I was kind of off on my own doing something. And I looked over and I saw Sarah, my wife, and our three kids. And our three kids were following single file behind Sarah. And I just thought it was kind of funny and they were goofing off. And so I took a quick picture. You want to throw that picture up of, of them there? You can kind of see it again. It's getting dark. And so I just thought they were goofing off. And Sarah, told, Sarah saw, thought the same thing. And so she turned around and found this out later. She turned around and she said to our kids, hey, what are you guys doing? Goofing off, walking in our footprints. And Caleb, who's right behind her, um, said, no, mom, that's not what we're doing. We're stepping in your footprints because we know that's the best place to be. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. When you can't see, when things are dark, when you don't know exactly what to do or where to go, like there's an invitation to, to, to walk and follow the lead, right? They, they could have run off. They could have gone off and done their own thing. And most of the time, that's what they would have done, right? I want to be first, right? I want to, I want to be the first one down the beach, but instead they chose to step in and to walk in her footsteps, to follow her lead, to be, you know, and, and that's the invitation I think that we have as Christians. It's to be more uh, like that with Jesus, to step in his footsteps, to trust him because that's the best, safest place we're gonna to be. To be more like Jonathan's, not David's, right? To play the supporting role to one that's even greater than David. To surrender our robes, our swords, our lives to trusting in King Jesus, that he knows what he's doing, that he knows where he's leading us and taking us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.